Okay, here I am again. It's me. I didn't really plan that transition out. I made it, had to make some shifts, but hey, so good to be with you guys. Um, as mentioned, we are... I'm just catching how fast that transition was. Uh, we are uh, in the middle of, of a teaching series. We, um, we really believe that God is calling us to be a people... He's calling us to reclaim our identity as a people of prayer. We believe that it's the most powerful thing that we can do. Um, it kind of like moves us from the realm of what we can do into the realm of what God can do. And so we believe in this, this power of prayer. We believe in consecration, which is just like this big word for just separating ourselves from the world, from the sweets of the world, so that we can be hungry for the sweetness of God's presence and his truth. And so... We've been on a journey together um, for that, and today we continue with that. I want to invite you guys to stand up for the reading of God's Word. And if you want, turn to Psalm 119, verse 25. Let's just take a deep breath in and out. So allow God to settle our scattered senses. Psalm 119. I am laid low in the dust. Preserve my life according to your word. I gave an account of my ways and you answered me. Teach me your decrees. Cause me to understand the way of your precepts that I may meditate on your wonderful deeds. My soul is weary with sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you that you are here and that you are working. We thank you for your word that we stand on. Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you breathe on it. You're the only one that can take words on a page and make them alive to our hearts. And that's what we need in this place. Allow us to leave changed, to focus on you, Jesus, to allow our hearts to be transformed by your word. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Awesome. Let's jump in. So it is estimated that in the next 30 years, 42 million people will leave the church. 50% of American churches, 50% of American churches will close their doors, predicted, in the next 30 years unless something changes. How many of you guys know that there is a war going on against the church? There is. There is a war going on. The church is being challenged in unprecedented ways. You know, if you think about it, um, just looking at society and culture, the church has lost a lot of its prominence, right? It's lost, lost a lot of its influence in culture. And so culture is spinning out of control. And that's, for many in, in this generation, um, the church has sort of become a little bit irrelevant for some, for many. And the things that I mentioned about the decline of membership as a whole, and maybe we can even add in like just the epidemic of, of mental health, in many ways are just byproducts of the people of God not operating from the strength and the resilience that we are called to live from. And I'm not saying, of course, there's mental health issues that are more ke like chemical, 
But in lar- largely, in a lot of ways, there is a spinning. There is a, there is a, the church is losing its ground in some parts in the West because of this lack of strength and resilience. And so in light of these ideas and these statistics about the decline, so to speak, of the numbers, I've been wrestling with a question and I've been wrestling with it pretty deeply. What is the central issue that challenges the church in our moment? Think about it. What is the, the main thing that is challenging the church, that's stopping and hindering and blocking the church from being the light and salt and the answer in our cultural hour? You know, as I pondered some of these things, um, some, some of the things that hinder us from stepping into what we're called to be, a few things were highlighted. The first thing that I thought of was consumerism. Consumerism. I was thinking maybe some of the consumerism in the Western kind of capitalistic mindset, and I'm not against capitalism as a, as a political form, of course, but some of the mentality and the children of this, of this, of capitalism and consumerism is imported into the church. And so I'm seeing sometimes at large people coming and using church as a product. They come and take from it and then they leave. And it's, it can be very destructive. But maybe there is something underneath that. Maybe there's something behind that. Maybe it's this idea of just lack of commitment. Just a lack of commitment. You know, research, research shows that 63% of the U.S. population check that Christian box but only 6% of this group would be considered practicing Christians. And that would be reading their Bible, going to church, and praying regularly. This is just uh, standards for research by the Barna Group. Maybe another idea is irrelevance. And what I mean by that is just the church isn't engaging in the very relevant and, and topical questions that the culture is asking. The church, is the church too insular, just so focused and navel gazing or something? I don't know, right? Are we engaging in the issues and the conversations that we need to? Maybe it's about mental health or maybe it's about sexuality. Another, the last one I thought of is, uh, that can be this huge challenge to the church is um, just this, and I relate to this one, is just like hurry and distraction. It's not even that the church is like doing anything bad, it's just, being distracted into oblivion, right? just left in the dust. Maybe it's technology and transition and change, and so we're just being left behind. We're losing our relevance. And so as I sat with these things, I'm, I'm convinced that there's something underneath it. There's something like the greatest challenge in our culture, it's underneath these things. And I would actually upgrade this language from challenge to crisis. The church is finding itself in a crisis. And this is what I believe that it is. The greatest thing that the church is facing in our time is a crisis of authority. It's a crisis of authority. And I believe that this affects us more than we realize. And so maybe you're like, all right, Zach, authority, really? (laughs) You mentioned a lot of problems that the church is facing, but you're saying authority. I would say yes. Authority is the foundation from which we live out our faith in ministry. If we don't have this proper foundation, we're anemic and we're weak. We're not going to be able to do it. You know, the foundation of the house of God 
it's imperative that, we, that it has its integrity. It's properly formed. If the foundation is compromised, what, you, you got some contractors in here. You know what happens. There's just fractures that take place, right? The whole house shifts and even falls apart. And I think in many ways, this is happening to the church. You know, the word authority, it's obvious that you'll find the word author, right? And so the question that I'm, I think I'm discovering here is really, who is going to narrate the story of your life? Who is going to narrate the story of your future? And whose hand is holding the pen that will determine the future of your life, the future of this church, the church at large, and the future of our generation? Who will authorize these things? How many guys know that that person is God, right? God has authority for us. He longs for us to step into the authority that he has for us. And I think in many ways, this idea of authority is just misconstrued. And I'm not saying I have the, on, the only way to look at it, but I do think that I'm calling upon something really, really fundamental in this exploration of reclaiming our authority in Jesus. So the thing about, about authority is we can't really step into the authority that God has for us if we don't spend time and get to know the author of life, right? He has all authority. He's the author of life. And what I really want to highlight today is it's hard to get to know the author of life if we don't spend time and get to know what he's written. He is the one who is sovereign over everything. He is the author of life and of your future and of your story. Are we getting to know what the author has written? You know, um, I talked about this a few weeks ago, but Jesus, when he's tempted, when he's, he, he starts his ministry and then there's, there's this trajectory and this explosion of authority that takes place. And a lot of this happens and transpires through this testing in the wilderness where he's proved faithful when Adam wasn't faithful. He's proved faithful when Israel wasn't faithful. And during this time, the devil, what does the devil do? He's, he's just attacking his identity. He's attacking his authority. If you are the son of God, then do this, right? And every time he is tested by the devil, he is not going back to the previous chapter. Hey, devil, God spoke from heaven and I had this incredible encounter and I know who I am, even though he certainly could. And I think that testimony is powerful. Of course, testimony is powerful. But I think in this trial and this, this like, kind of, I don't even know how the language to put it, but there was some kind of transmission of authority that took place in the wilderness as he fasted. He kept going back to the scripture. Whenever he was tested, he just went back to the scripture, went back to the scripture, went back to the scripture. He found his foundation in the scripture. And I think this is what I'm really calling us to explore for the rest of our time today. If we want to step into the authority that God has for us to bring light in the darkness, to bring peace and hope in the midst of mourning and pain. We have, we have to stand on the foundation of what the author has written, and that is his word. Amen. In Psalm 119, I read it before, but I want to read it again. I am laid low in the dust. Preserve my life according to your word. I gave an account of my ways, and you answered me. Teach me your decrees. 
Cause me to understand the ways of your precepts, that I may meditate on your wonderful deeds. My soul is weary with sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. God has strength for you guys. He has authority for you. And along with the Holy Spirit, it comes from the word. It comes from studying the word. It comes from reading the word. It comes from meditating on the word. And it comes from praying the word, which I, I want to really highlight and connect with our journey of prayer and consecration today. And so maybe you grew up in church and you're like, yeah, I know. But I just want to encourage you to listen with like fresh ears. The primacy and importance of the scripture. If we don't involve the scripture in our life, we will get lost. And you can see from the world, it doesn't even know where north is anymore. It's lost its compass for truth because it's lost its value for the scripture. In, in chapter, chapter 19 of Psalm, Psalm 19, this, this psalmist goes on for 176 verses. What's the longest chapter in the Bible? 119. The longest chapter in the whole Bible is this psalmist praying out about the Bible over and over and over again. He prays it over his life. He prays it over his people over and over and over again. He knows that he needs to rely on the scripture for the foundation of his life and the foundation of his community. Turn your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. You guys with me? The word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16. So a little bit of context. The apostle Paul is uh, writing a letter to his apprentice and his, his son in the faith, Timothy. And he's inviting him to, he's teaching him, he's equipping him to operate with authority and with pastoral care in the city of Ephesus. And in this city, this city of Ephesus is not unlike the major cities of the U.S. and not unlike Austin. So there's a lot of spiritual complexity. There is a lot of busyness. <laughs> there's a lot of consumerism. And sexuality is an idol, just like it is in our city, in our area as well. You know, I remember studying 2 Timothy in Bible school. And it was, this, was a, this was like a nine-month, very, very intense uh, Bible study where we studied the Bible. We went through the Bible five times and went verse by verse inductively with dictionaries. And I wouldn't have the biblical understanding without that intensity. It was really hard, but it was also really great. And Rachel got to, we did that the first year of our marriage. And we just kind of got to like figure out, like argue with things. And like, what do we believe? This is what the scripture's saying. This is like, and just cross-referencing that and get grounded um, on truth. And I just, I'm so grateful for that time. And so I remember reading, so we went through the Old Testament and then we went through the New Testament. We went, you know, book by book, letter by letter of Paul. And Paul wrote most of the New Testament. And by this time in 2 Timothy, this is actually the last letter that he writes that's been canonized, okay? The last letter that he writes to the people of God and to Timothy is 2 Timothy. And so if you, if you, um, ga you will gather, if you read it, he is writing probably the last words to his beloved son, I remember reading it and just being like overcome with emotions. Rachel's sitting across from me. I'm just crying because I'm like, no, Paul, because he's about to get executed. 
And he knows it. And so he's writing and he's commissioning his son in the faith. He knows that God is faithful and the gospel is unstoppable, but we need to transfer with disciple making. And so he knows, I need to give this message to my son, Timothy. If I don't, I'm not, the, the, the movement of God might be hindered. The authority of the truth might be hindered. It's still there, but we're not operating from it. And so he, he gives this charge to Timothy. The last charge in the letter, guess what this is about? The last charge he gives his son in the faith. He's reminding him of this. We finally get to the verse here, 316. All scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The last thing he wants to remind his son in the faith, think of all the things you'd want to charge him with. He charges him with this because he knows true authority and the truth comes from the scripture, begins in the scripture. I love the way that Eugene Peterson translates these ideas. And just as a quick note, this is not a word for word translation. This is an idea for idea paraphrase. But I feel like it, it carries a lot of meaning. There's a lot of beautiful interpretation here. And so in the same passage, Eugene translates, there's nothing like the written word of God for showing you the way to salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Every part of scripture is God-breathed and useful one way or another, showing us truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, training us to live God's way. Through the word, we are put together and shaped up for the tasks God has for us. Showing us truth, exposing rebellion, correcting our mistakes, training us to live God's way. Many of us are parents in this place or maybe grandparents or you're actually, you're, you're younger and you have friends and maybe you're even dealing with this. We live in a world that has turned into like this post-truth world. It's like, it's, everything's relative. It's just, that's your truth. This is my truth. You do your thing, follow your heart, right? But if you, Look at that logically, like that's impossible. There's only one truth, right? Otherwise it's relative, it's subjective. And so that's why we're living with so much like aimlessness and like confusion. There's so much confusion in, in the young people's hearts and in their identity because they don't, they don't know how to triangulate. And so the scripture again shows us truth, exposes rebellion, correcting and training. The word of God is God breathed. I just think about that comes from God. Right, he breathed on it. It's alive. And so that it, we can be thoroughly equipped to face our cultural hour, no matter what we're dealing with on the day or the week or in the, the eon that we're in, we can be thoroughly equipped with authority, y'all, with authority. This isn't really in my notes, but I just feel like there's, there's some of us in our community that live with this like low-grade helplessness. Like there's just this low grade, like I don't really have, I feel like I have zero power. <laughs> like we're talking about all this power stuff and authority. Like I, don't, I don't feel like I can barely take care of my kids or, or get up in the morning, whatever the case may be. And if you feel that way, I just have so much compassion for you. And I feel like the father has compassion for you. But I do think that there needs to be like just this switch in our hearts it's like, no, this is, that's actually not normal. Like normal is with authority. Normal is with a power that God wants to impart 
to us. Does that make sense? God has authority for us, and it's from his inspired word. Of course, there's other things, so don't, don't hear me wrong. But there is something really central and foundational about this. You know, he has, he has produced his word through all of this time. <laughs> and he's also preserved it for us. He's preserved it. I wouldn't say preserved. Again, back in Bible school, um, I, my go-to Bible dictionary was the Tyndale Bible Dictionary. And by the way, if you want to grow in your biblical understanding and literacy, I would just highly recommend getting a Bible dictionary. Um, it's just so good. You can also, if you're visual and you're just getting started, I would recommend the Bible Project. It's all free. It's online. It gives you kind of a lot of the same things that a dictionary will give you about the Bible. I just find that most, if not, well, I would say most, of the biblical kind of errors of interpretation are a result of a lack of just understanding of the author, the original hearer, and the message, and the context, and the liter literary style, all that stuff. So the, the dictionary is huge. Too many people, I think, um, here, here's the tension. I'm like, I want to inspire you. I want to move your hearts, but I also want to teach you, you know? So track with me here. But I think that the Bible, sometimes us as Bible readers, we're just like these, these parachuters that just parachute down into like a text and have no idea what like the terrain is like. We're just here, like, okay, here we go. And I just, the, the military wouldn't do that. A parachuter wouldn't do that. They would get a lay of the land. They'd figure out what's going on. Where, what's the terrain like? What's the enemy going, you know, all that stuff. And so it's important that we do that in scripture as well. Otherwise we can just find ourselves behind enemy lines by our, without knowing what's going on. So again, yeah, reputable Bible dictionaries, Bible project. So with that, I want to do, I want to change the tone a little bit and do a little Bible trivia, okay? You guys down? A little Bible trivia, okay. True or false, the Bible is the most popular book ever written by copies sold. True, that's right. Isn't that incredible? Like probably like, like by three times or maybe more. All right, let's get a little harder. All right. What year was the Bible translated into English? I'll give you three options. What year was the Bible translated into English? A, 1136. B, 1536. C, 2036. <laughs> C, yeah. D, you're right, it's B. Good job. You need to put in some silliness in there, you know? It's just good. Um, yeah, you're right, 1536. And so the last question, the first, who first translated the Bible into English? I'll give you a clue. I mentioned him. Tyndale, that's right. William Tyndale, he translated the Bible into English. And this was really, really huge because the West was trying to read it in Latin and all these other things. And it was just like, it wasn't in the hands of the people. It was in the hands of the clergy and like, no, we, God has authority for everybody, <laughs> not just certain people. It's every, and so he, he was willing to do this to the point of death, y'all. Like, he, do you, I don't know if you know, but he was martyred for this. He was strangled and then burned at the stake for doing this, for his passion for the scripture, for his passion to see the people of God read the scripture and step into their authority and step into truth. People have died for this, purchased 
with their own blood, joining Jesus, purchasing these, the preservation of this. Let that inspire you. And so the question with that is, how precious is the word of God to you? How precious is the word of God to you? I'm asking myself that question. You know, when I pray, I, I try to do three things, and I, there's multiple things, and it's not just you know, a step-by-step equation, but I just want to give you some helpful steps, okay? So when I, when I read the scripture, one of the first things I want to do is I, I want to agree with God, okay? How many of you guys know that this process of agreeing with God sometimes takes disagreeing, right? You're not going to just blindly, like, sometimes it's like, yeah, that's what it says, but deep down inside, you don't, you're not like, I really believe this. You have to sometimes wrestle with this process of agreement, but when we can really wrestle with this stuff and then agree and we like, I know that you're true. I've seen your faithfulness. I've seen all of like the, like I've seen how my life is kind of a proving this, the text and the text is proving my life. When we can agree, something powerful happens. It's like, that's when heaven starts to invade. When we start to cooperate with the will of God and his kingdom in agreement and yielding, accepting, and so we do this through discovering the author's intent. Why did the author write this? Let's know that when we're reading the scripture. Why, what, what was like the message to the original hearers? It's not going to not mean something to them and mean something to us. You know, it builds off from that. You need to just start with that, maybe the context of the scripture. So we wrestle with these things. And by the way, if you read the scripture and the scripture never offends you, you're probably, whoa, whoa, whoa. Um, yeah, yeah, let the scripture offend you. Um, yeah, so like if you read the scripture and it's just like, oh, that's easy. Yeah, pray for those who persecute you. you know? Wash the feet of, the, of your enemy. It's like, no, we have to wrestle with this stuff. It sometimes offends us, but that's okay. And then we, we surrender and we yield and allow it to shape us. I love this quote. I came across this quote from Tim Keller. He's like one of my favorite speakers and writers. And he says this, if your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idolized version of yourself. <laughs> and so we see from Jacob, it's okay to wrestle with God. And so we need to wrestle with the words so that we can come into agreement. That's where authority takes place because it's not from our own will and kingdom. It's from his. And the word helps us with that. The other thing I want to do when I read the scripture is I want to eat it. I want to eat the scripture. Jeremiah 15, 16, this passage is so, so cool. It just speaks to my heart. When your words came, let me just back up for a second. This, this isn't a moment of Israel's history when God said, not even if Moses or Samuel comes and pleads on their behalf, will I accept them? He is furious with the, the heinous things that Israel has done. And the constant rejection of, of his precepts and his, and his word and his covenant. And so they've, he's exiled them out and allowed them to go into slavery. And so in response to this, the, the prophet Jeremiah is like responding to this tension. And he says this, calling the people of God, this is what matters. This is how you should respond in this moment. He says this, when your words came... I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight. For I bear your name, Lord God Almighty. I think this is a call for us to not just count 
the word and not allow it to be a dusty book on the table, but to like eat it, to ingest it. What does this look like? It means to chew on it, to meditate on this stuff, to allow it to nourish our inner being. This is how we should respond to the slavery and to the exile that we're experiencing in some ways in our cultural hour. Does that make sense? And lastly, as we hear from God, the scripture helps us hear from God. When we, obviously we're hearing from him when we're reading it, right? If it's like, I don't hear God's voice, read the Bible. <laughs> so, but when we ingest the scripture and we pray it and we meditate on it and we memorize it, we start to understand what? The nature and character of God. We understand who he is, who he really is when we read the scripture. And with that, we start to get acquainted and familiar how his voice sounds. Because we know his nature, we know his character, we know what he's doing in, in the creation. And then we align that and it becomes a landing pad to hear his voice. It's incredible. The last passage I want to read here, and then we're going to do a little exercise, is Hebrews 4, verse 12. I spent way too much time just studying through this passage. <laughs> And if you want to nerd out about some of the, like, some of the things about this, like, l- let's go, because I love it. Um, how to interpret it in all the context, and Jesus is our high priest, all these things. But I'm going to just, we'll save that for another conversation, but really just allow the, the word to speak. The author says this, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the the dividing of soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and tensions of the heart. You know, there's a, there's a lot in there, but <clears throat> I think in, in its, if I had to put it in one sentence, God's word d- pierces to the deepest places. And all of us, like every part of us. And so just, let's just put that on the table because we're going to come back to that. But I want to show you, as we sort of land the plane here, I want to show you a very powerful and and historic way to pray the scripture, okay? And I don't know if I always go like in this exact order, but I basically do some kind of rendition of this when I read the scripture and I pray in my quiet times. And so it's called Lexio Divina. Has anyone heard of that? It's a, it's a monastic practice that's been, hap- been happening for, for a long time. But um, the, like the, all of the, the fixing is, isn't really important. Although I like it. It helps me. But so Lexio Divina uh, is Latin for divine reading. And it's really just five steps. So let's go through those five steps. And in this process, we seek to experience God's, God's presence through reading his word and through listening, through prayer, through meditation and contemplation. All right? So the first one, the first part is you just read the, the text. Just read it. What does it say? All right? Just read it out loud to reflect on the passage. And then the second part is you read it again, but you take on like a meditative posture. You're just like really kind of like reflecting on it. And what are the words and the phrases that are sort of like jumping out to you? And then the second step is you, you pray. You just pray that passage out. Some of the things that in your meditation time, which could have been like five seconds or like 50 minutes, <laughs> and you just like, what was being tugged at your heart? And you just pray those themes out. Just pray that out. Allow the scripture lead, to lead you. And then there's this fourth part is contemplation or contemplate. And um, 
This one is really, is in one way, it's really simple in the sense that you just, you allow the text to lead you and then you just fix your eyes on God as he fixes his eyes on you. And you lock hearts and you lock eyes with God. And in another sense, this is also like, could be a very, um, frankly, a mystical experience. When you do this, by God's grace, not by anything we do, God can take you to deeper places of presence with God. Like he just takes you into this deeper place. And so if that happens, go with him. Just go with his love. If that doesn't happen, just chill with God. That's good. Just chill with God. And then the last one is application or actions. Like what in this passage, in this time that I've spent time with God in this prayer, do I want to take into my day or take into my week? Like when we do this kind of stuff, I promise you like authority will take place. You'll just start to see the world from heaven's perspective. And so I'm going to call up the, the worship band up here as we conclude here. And uh, I want us to practice it. Let's practice it. So just maybe you just need to like, I don't know, everyone just move around a little bit. You've been listening to me. Just shake it up, shake it up. There you go, shake it up. Oh. Get your body involved a little bit. And then um, we're going to do this in a very prayerful perspective or uh, posture. And I want to demonstrate it for you so that you can sort of taste the muscle memory of it. And I, man, I, I really encourage you to try it. Just take any passage and, and just do this, do this process if you haven't already. And so we're going to do uh, 2 Timothy 3.16. And so we just, first step is we read the passage. <clears throat> and even before that, let's just welcome God. So Holy Spirit, would you guide us, Lord? Thank you that you are the teacher, that you're the one who illuminates the teachings of Jesus and the apostles. Have your way in this place, Lord. Let us just fix our eyes and our hearts on you, our mind on you for a minute here. Second Timothy 3.16. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So we just meditate on this. You can read it again. Just reflect on it. <clears throat> What's sticking out to you? God breathed. That reminds me of the Holy Spirit, Ruach, Numa. Reminds me of when God breathed into Adam and Eve. And so then you just start to pray it out. Lord, I thank you for your scripture and that all of your scripture is breathed by you and is alive by you. It's not alive by tradition or by institution or hierarchy. It's alive by you and your breath. I thank you that it's useful. That actually is useful. It's not like, okay, it's a little add-on. It's very useful. I thank you for that, Father. And that it teaches me truth and that it exposes my rebellion. I don't even know where I go, go awry. Would you teach me by your word? I thank you for that. Thank you for correcting me for correcting my spine. It's like a chiropractor that's like, man, you're crooked. I'm just going to help you out. 
Thank you for the word, just making my spine of my soul, my being straight. Thank you for correcting me. Thank you for training me. And this is a process. It's not one, one moment. It's a process into righteousness, into your ways and into your mercy. So that the servants of God, thank you that I'm, I'm not called to be the pastor of God or the worship leader of God or the Bible scholar of God or something. I'm a servant. Maybe thoroughly equipped. Thoroughly. Thank you, Lord, for every good work. Thank you that you have good work for us. You have good work for every single person who's sitting in this sanctuary. You have good work for us. And you equip us thoroughly through your word. And then we just contemplate, just reflect. Other translations like contemplate, contemplate is reflecting. And so just join me, just reflect on God. Shift the gaze of your heart towards God for a minute. The author of life, the author of the scripture. Just adore him. We thank you, Lord. You didn't leave us on our own. You're with us. Oftentimes I find it's in these, in these places that we can really encounter God in a real way. Like that's where like intimacy is built. It's in those places, I think, of contemplation. And then last one is we, it's application or action. Um, what a part of this do I want to bring into my week? And it could be just really simple. I just want to read the Bible more. <laughs> I'm going to set my calendar up, my Google calendar. I'm going to wake up. I'm going to read my Bible reading for the day or I'm going to do... I'm just going to read the word. Let that come in. I want to soak in that. I'm going to get the audio Bible and just drive to work with it. It could be that, that simple. And so let's just stay in this place for a moment here and segue into worship and response. We're going to worship and take communion in a moment, but I just want to allow the Holy Spirit to come and speak Lord, I thank you for the order that you bring, Holy Spirit. I thank you that you don't do anything outside of the standards of the scripture. I thank you that that's a gauge for us. And the more I get to know about the scripture, the more I get to know about you, Holy Spirit, and the more I get to know about you, Holy Spirit, the more I understand the scripture. And that applies to the Father and the Son as well. Some of us in this room just need, maybe like you've been sleepy when it comes to your devotion to God and sleepy with your devotion to the word. And God just wants to wake you up today. Maybe just give him permission. Like God, I give you permission to come and wake me up. And the good thing is he's gentle. He just like rubs your arm. Wake up. One more thing I think I want to talk about before we enter back into worship. I think too many of us have lost the muscle for the word, including myself, because we're just too busy. Just too busy, just too distracted, 
and too busy. And so we don't have rest. And so when we think of the scripture, it's like, well, that takes work and I'm pretty tired. <laughs> but I came across this quote from Adele Calhoun, who's this like expert in spiritual disciplines and like the Sabbath. And, um, and she says this, if you aren't resting, you're a slave to something. Most of us are not resting the way we need to. And so it just shows us we are a slave to something. Maybe those things are good, but they're not ultimate, right? And so God has an authority for us, but we can't operate in that authority if we're a slave to things, leaving us exhausted and busy and distracted and like no concentration. And so during worship this, this morning, if you just need to come and get the rest from God, I encourage you to do that. Just come and receive the rest from God and confess, man, I've been a slave to these things, to work, to my fear, to like my job, to my pleasure. I just want to confess these things and I want to enter into freedom and rest so that I can step into authority. Amen? Amen. So let's worship together. Let's be willing to repent. Let's willing to just see Jesus to enter into his freedom, to stand on the scripture, to worship him with our life, with our focus, and step into the authority that God has for us in this cultural hour. Let's rise together and let's worship Jesus as we continue.